Are you attracted to Duke Fuqua's collaborative MBA culture and intrigued by its flexible curriculum and the strength of its entering class as revealed by the latest class profile? But you're unsure how you can make your case for acceptance? Then pull up a chair. In today's podcast, Fuqua's Associate Dean of Admissions pulls back the curtain on what Duke seeks in its applicants. Welcome to Admission Straight Talk, the podcast dedicated to graduate admissions and helping you approach the application process thoughtfully and successfully. Your host is Accepted's founder and world-renowned admissions guru, Linda Abraham. At Accepted, our mission is to get you to that unforgettable moment when you read your acceptance email and shout, yes, I'm in, confident you'll be attending the perfect program to help you launch the career of your dreams. Welcome to the 536th episode of Mission Straight Talk. Thanks for tuning in. Before I introduce our guest, I have a question for you. Are you ready to apply to your dream MBA programs? Are you competitive at your target schools? Accepted's MBA admissions quiz can give you a quick reality check. Just go to accepted.com slash MBA quiz, MBA Q-U-I-Z, complete the quiz, and you'll not only get an assessment, but tips on how to improve your qualifications. Plus, it's all free. Again, use the calculator at exhibit.com slash MBA quiz to obtain your complimentary assessment. It gives me great pleasure to welcome back to Mission Straight Talk, Sherry Hubert, Associate Dean of Admissions at Duke University's Fuqua School of Business. Sherry earned her BA at Dartmouth and her MBA at Harvard. She worked at several elite companies and in 2009 became Director of Recruitment for the Peace Corps. In 2012, she returned to the MBA world when she became the Associate Dean of MBA Admissions for Georgetown McDonough. She joined Duke as Associate Dean of Admissions in October 2017. Sherry, welcome to Admissions Straight Talk. Thank you so much, Linda. It's always a pleasure to be here with you. And so I was really uh, excited to get that invitation and share some time with you and your listeners. I'm so happy you did, and I'm excited to talk to you too. Now, let's start with the basics. I know I've asked you this before, but it can always change. Can you go over, first of all, that menu of MBA options at Duke Fuqua, and then perhaps focus a little bit more on the MBA program itself? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. We have four different MBA options at Fuqua. We have the daytime MBA, which is your, think about your traditional two-year full-time MBA, residential, flexible concentrations, experiential, and I can go into that detail a bit more. We have an accelerated daytime MBA. So again, very similar profile as our daytime MBA in terms of the types of students. It's one year, it's full-time, it's residential as well. The one specific criteria, though, that is different is that the individual must have a already have a master's, either a master's of management studies, which is our degree, or a master's in management or some kind of an equivalent business degree, because those sets of courses that you would take actually substitute for or transfer for the, the core curriculum that you would take your first year. That would be a one year early experience program, basically, in business that you're talking about. Well, the accelerated daytime MBA actually should be very similar. The profile should be similar to our full-time. It's just it's it's just for people who already have um, some kind of master's in management or right. uh, specialized master's in business degree plus the full-time work experience, right? So we prefer they actually have, you know, a couple of years yeah. of work at least a couple of years of work experience, plus they have already have a, a specialized master's and therefore they are joining the daytime MBA program in its second, you know, with the second year MBA students and taking electives. And so therefore they can do the program and get the degree in one year as opposed to the two, two full years. And then we have our weekend executive MBA. So we have two executive MBA programs. We have a weekend executive MBA program and that is for working professionals. It meets monthly and Thursday through Sunday. And then there are some uh, live classes that happen every other Saturday as well. And then we have global executive MBA program. Uh, similar in terms of, you know, it's a Duke MBA, it's the same faculty, same curriculum as your traditional full-time MBA, but these programs are for working professionals. The global executive MBA is, you know, f- six residencies, in different countries around the world, different regions around the world, I should say, including Durham. So it's basically every two months you go to a different country, um, your professors travel with you, your career center representatives travel with you, your IT support travels with you, and your residencies are in that country. And then you come back and that's for 10 days, eight to 10 days. You come back and you do more distance hybrid coursework. Again, all of these programs are lockstep. They're, they're team-based or cohort-based. And they all, again, are the same Duke degree, the same faculty, and um, just a different format. 
Okay. And we all offer some level of you know concentrations and or certificates as well. Got it. Okay. So now can we focus on the full-time MBA program? Can you give a, a I guess a little bit more information on that one? On yeah. Your so, traditional program. Mm-hmm, sure. Absolutely. So again, um, this particular program is for individuals who, you know, are wanting to perhaps pivot into a different function industry. Uh, geography or reset or just want a full, fully immersive experience in terms of pursuing their MBA. And it's really tailored for that kind of a profile. The curriculum is really designed to allow our students to learn both the breadth and the depth across the different, all types of curriculum, as well as very much focused on leadership. And so just to give you a sense of the structure of the program, there, the core is the first year, which is very traditional to most MBA programs. You start off with what we call a summer institute. And it's kind of a leveling three-week course or two, two to three-week course. You'll learn um, things like leadership, ethics, and organization. So how do, how do you think about leadership in the context of the individual, the team, and then the organization? You will learn there are two courses that you also learn, uh, entrepreneurial mindset and action. So that's really about, you know, Regardless of whether or not you decide to start your own business, we believe that there are some fundamental elements and characteristics of entrepreneurs that are really valuable for all of our MBAs to have. And so it's really in regardless of whether or not you're in a established organization working for an organization, you still want to have some level of entrepreneurial kind of spirit. And so we make sure that all of our students, it's a mandatory course, go through that. And then the final one is technology-driven transformation of business. And again, that's really not just recognition that technology is driving all all aspects of our life, including business and how. So how do business leaders make those decisions using data, using information in ways that either support the functioning, uh, the goals of that organization while not doing harm as well, right? And so that's a new course or not a new course anymore, but a required course. And then of course, during that, you would also start to get formed into your, what we call consequential leadership teams, which are four to five person learning teams. And those are the individuals that you will go through your first year with, you'll do casing with, you'll be in sections with, and they are actually managed by a second year MBA student who is a part of our co-leadership program. And so again, our, our students are really able to give practical um, leadership experience, practice their own leadership style on actual first year teams, helping them kind of just acclimate. You go through their first uh, fall core, which is fall, we, are, we're, we have six week terms. And so they- I was just going to ask about that. Yeah. Yeah. We have six week terms, four six week terms in the daytime MBA program. They each meet twice a week for two hours and about 15 minutes. We don't have classes on Wednesdays and that was purposeful and intentional. We do have classes on Fridays, right? So if the if you don't have classes in the middle of the week, it's when students can work on projects. They can perhaps um, do work that's associated with their, their clubs, their leadership roles outside outside of the classroom like conferences, um, doing more recruiting, things like that. But if you stay, if you have classes on Fridays, we notice that students will stay in Durham more often. And it really builds more of a cohesive community off campus as well as on campus by ensuring that our students are kind of in Durham, you know, um, communing with each other uh, over the weekend. And so that's been a really nice aspect and a little bit of a difference in our program. And then, you know, like I said, all of our students are assigned to leadership kind of learning teams as well. And then there's one other course that I wanted to talk about that happens not in that first during that summer institute, but it happens once students come back from their internship. So this is also unique about, I think, Fuqua in that. It'll be the second year, right? Yeah. So your second year, you've had your internship, you come back and we actually get you back into your learning team. So it's not as if you, after your first year, you disperse and you never with your learning teams anymore. You come back, it's called C-Lead 2 or Consequential Leadership 2. And it's really about reflection, right? You had your internship, you've had a full first, full year of being with these individuals and your classmates and learning and trusting and building skills. And you've now been, been able to apply them during the summer. So let's come back and reflect on what did you learn? Because there's more trust, you can go deeper in terms of those uh, developing those relationships with your teams, and your cohorts, and you do more personal self-reflection, personal leadership development. So we do a lot of things with Brene Brown. We'll have guests come in and talk to our students. Um, they'll do their own reflection assignments just to really be able to have time to put into perspective what they learned, how they want to you know, show up for that second and final year as well. 
you know, knowing what they know now, having a full year under their belt, having some practical experience with their internship, you know, is there anything they'd like to kind of change or pivot or really lean into in this final year that would help them as they continue to transform and to develop into their own leadership style? And part in another course that they would take as part of that um, that experience, we call it C Lead Two, is business and common purpose in a in a world of a difference. So it's really about how do you as a leader taking into the you know taking into con- uh, consideration the notion of IQ, EQ, DQ, how do you lead with common purpose, right? How do you lead teams that might be disparate, different, have difference of opinion, come from different backgrounds? How do you make sure that everyone's kind of working towards a common purpose in a world that is very, very challenging at times and that where you have stakeholders that are not just your employees, just the, your competitors, but it could be society, the communities that your organizations operate in. How do you bring all of that together in order to really be able to, to make a difference in the more of a societal impact, right? Where things are very polarized. And so um, that's a new, um, not a new course, but a course that I think is unique because, you know, you you really are able to, to take fuller advantage of that kind of a course and thinking once yeah. you've come back and had some perspective, right? After your second, after your first year. Thinking of all the implications in terms of, you know, what's going on in the world around us and it, it's certainly necessary. And this is a second year course, right? So you've you've built up to it, right? Yep, exactly. So that happens in your second year. That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. Now, one of the things I also noticed, you know, while preparing for the call is that Duke Fuqua touts the flexibility of its curriculum and the many concentrations that it offers. Can you review that that aspect of the program? I mean, mm-hmm. focus on that. Like it was great that you talked about the leadership opportunities, but what about the, the flexibility of the program and its ability to yeah. meet different needs? Yeah. And so I would say, I would start off by saying that our concentrations and our certificates allow you to go deep. They are options. They're not things that you have to take advantage of. There are some students who go through the entire two years and take the courses that are meaningful to them or most popular or, you know, so it's it's an opportunity to customize and to go deep, but it's not a requirement and sometimes people will use concentrations and certificates to pivot into a particular industry or sector that they're not necessarily familiar in. So they use it in order to demonstrate competency or just, you know, sincere interest in. Um, but the degree that you get is still a general management MBA, right? Um, and so we have uh, over 100 electives and the concentrations are really an accumulation of and packaging of different electives. We have over 100 of those electives. They can be organized under functional concentrations or topical concentrations. So some functional ones would be decision sciences, management, marketing, operations, strategic consulting, fintech is one of our newer ones. We have topical concentrations like diversity, equity, inclusion, which again is one of our newer ones, entrepreneurship, the environment social entrepreneurship, leadership, and the like. So again, about 14 or so different combinations of concentration certificates, similar to concentrations, maybe one level deeper in terms of the the additional number of electives that you would take. And we have two concentrations, our health sector management concentration, which is very well known. And that concentration is usually coupled with the health sector certificate, enables individuals to get a certificate in um, an understanding of all the different parameters of the healthcare sector. There's a boot camp attached to it. There are all kinds of experiential opportunities that you can take advantage of. They align very closely with the health center that we have. Um, so a lot of students, very popular in that. Uh, certificate is open to our executive MBAs and our daytime MBA. So during the boot camp, you'll have a combination of both programs, uh, over 100 people usually in that boot camp. And that usually happens at the beginning of your time or right before orientation. And then we have the finance certificate, again, for folks who want to really kind of double down deeply into the finance sec- finance sector. We used to have the management science and, and technology management certificate. That's more of a data analytics. But um, as of uh, last year, our entire MBA program is now STEM certified. And so mm-hmm. you know, data analytics and those kinds of courses are really infused throughout the entire curriculum. And so there's not necessarily a need to have a specific concentration because the entire degree is now very data focused. So I'd say those are the, the you know, the kinds of concentrations and certificates that we have. And, and it, I think you really illustrated the breadth of the program and your ability, your, you know, the flexibility and breadth of the program. Really. Right. So you can do two concentrations or you can do a concentration and a certificate. 
you know, pretty difficult to do two certificates. And so that's why um, we have a limit in terms of if you do a certificate, we limit the number of concentrations. But, you know, in addition to concentrations and certificates, you can also do dual degree. We have five different dual degree programs. We have, uh, you know, one with our medical school or law school, our school of public policy. And then we have two with our school of the environment, Nicholas School of the Environment. We have a master's in environmental management and the master's of forestry, which is interesting. And then for those individuals who may not want to do a dual degree, but they really really want to take full advantage of the breadth of what's available across Duke University in a very interdisciplinary way. We, you can, as an MBA student in Fuqua, you can take up to four courses, 12 credits outside of Fuqua at any of the schools on campus, professional schools on campus. So it is very flexible. Yeah. Now at Fuqua, you know, pre-COVID was also known very much for its global learning opportunities. Are they in full swing now? Yeah, but full swing, we're back up. Back, you know, traveling abroad. Okay. Uh, I would say there are three ways in which our students take advantage of global opportunities. One is our GATE, which is an experiential four-credit course, global academic travel experience is what it, it stands for. Yeah. And in May 2023, the locations changed a bit. We had one GATE um, as we were kind of, easy, you know, slowly ramping back into full swing of travel. And this year we'll be offering two. So last year we went to South Africa, Johannesburg, Cape Town, and, and, a, and a safari. This year we're going to go to South Africa again, but we also have a new climate-focused gate, uh, which is which in, it's going to be in Denmark and Norway, and it'll be led by Dan Vermeer, who is our faculty director of EDGE, our, one of the centers for the energy and the, and the global development environment. So in addition to that, we, you know, I would say about 20, 25 students per gate trip uh, attend a course, right? So about two months you're spending in classroom learning about the uh, individual country and the dynamics, you know, economic dynamics, political dynamics, um, and the cultural dynamics. And then you travel as a as a class and cohort with your faculty member over there for a week. Um, so you really kind of get the um, lived experience as well. You meet with back, meet with alumni over there, I'll have corporate visits. And then there's also, you know, it's, you know, opportunity for cultural exchange as well. We also have what we call exchange programs. So those are, so our gate tends to be individuals in the first year. And then our exchange programs tend to tend to be our students in the second year. And we have over 20 different schools that we, you know, have partnerships with. You know, it is an exchange. So, you know, they are sending students, their students here. We are sending our students there. And so it varies from, you know, quarter to quarter. Uh, but it's very flexible. So you may have, you know, the winter break and the spring break. Um, a set of exchanges with schools, or you may have a six-week term exchanges. So it really is based on how much time do you want to be away. Uh, I would say the winter break and the spring break are probably most popular because, you know, it's a lot to be away your second year, your final year. I was thinking about year. recruiting. Yeah, Re- well, recruiting. yeah, that, mm-hmm. That too, if you haven't fully you know, signed on to a company, you definitely, it's helpful to be here unless you're trying to actually find an opportunity abroad, right? And then that's helpful. Right. But most, mostly it's because people don't want to be that far away from their friends their last you know, year in school. So I would say, but people do take advantage of the six-week term options. And like I said, they last from either a few days to a week, you know, to a whole term. Um, and, you know, there are over 20 different schools that we have relationships with. So, and a lot of them are, you know, not a lot of them, but some of them are kind of based on special topics, right? And so, for example, we have the Asian business landscape through a partnership in Singapore, and that's kind of the topic of that that exchange program, kind of looking at kind of Asian um, business through that landscape. Uh, we have doing business in Israel, actually, as a, at a, with our partner school in Tel Aviv. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, we are starting up this program um, on climate, which will be interesting. So yeah, so it's it's really interesting. We have uh, an opportunity with Copenhagen Business School as well for spring break. So they all vary, very flexible, but a lot of fun. And I would say a lot of our students end up taking advantage of our exchange programs. Um, and then lastly, just student-run treks and trips. So and those are not necessarily organized by the school, but they definitely are organized by students. And, um, and we've had, you know, sent 70 people to Brazil. And I mean, students go to all kinds of exotic and wonderful places. So, Wow. Fun. It really, I mean, again, I prepared for the call, but what you're, the information you're providing is adding so much more color, depth, texture to it. So uh, thank you for all this. What about the application process itself? What changes have you made to the MBA application process this year? So not a ton, but I will say that we have some new testing options. You know, we will accept the new GMAT focus Mm -hmm. and we will accept the new GRE. 
Mm-hmm. And we already accept executive assessment. So we are the school that requires at least one form of a test. And so those are, are kind of new changes. Any preference? Will, nope, no preference. You know, I think it really depends. Do your homework in terms of whether or not the new GMAT focus or the new GRE is the right test for you. But, you know, if you decide that that's the case, we will accept it. The executive assessment is always a, an interesting option as well for some people, but it's not for everyone. So again, you know, we just encourage people to, you know, test out some of these, see which one you you test better at or feel more comfortable with and go for it. Because the ones that you're going to feel more comfortable with are probably the ones that you're going to do your best on. So. Sure. Regardless, though, I would say encourage people to practice, (laughs) you know, prepare for it, you know, so, yeah, but we don't have a preference. And then no test waivers, right? Right. We do not provide test waivers for our daytime MBA program. For our working professional programs, we do offer a test waiver process that you can apply for. Yeah. And then um, another section that is new, um, we're keeping our 25 random facts essay. But we do have a new optional section on the application. And it's really just, you know, we want to learn more about our applicants in terms of their lived experiences. And so there's section is not, don't think of it as an essay, but it is an optional section. And it's just a place where they can share a little bit more about themselves, including whether or not they're first in their family to attend college, if they grew up with any kind of financial hardships, and then anything else that they feel they haven't had an opportunity to explain that would speak to some of their lived experiences, their upbringing, their background, you know, what's influenced them, that kind of thing. Um, And it really, it's really about kind of this unique aspect of their lived experience that they feel will help them contribute to our Fuqua community. So it's, it's more like, what else would you like us to know about you or. Yeah. Yeah. That you didn't get a chance to share any place else kind of thing. Right. And it is totally optional. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. And the whole, that whole section, well, there's only the, the first generation question and the financial hardship, those are yes, no. And so this smaller kind of optional field is about 200 words maximum. I'm just going to ask, is there any length limit? Yeah. Yeah. About 200 Mm -hmm. words maximum. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. And then we will be uh, keeping our fourth round, our application round, which means we probably, that probably means for us that we have like five. So we have the early action, right? Right. We have the, we have the early action, then we have the round one, round two, round three, and then we will have round four. Right. And I have the dates actually on my notes. September 7th is early action. September 28th is round one, then January 9th, February 22nd, and April 4th would be round four, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, so, you know, not a lot has changed, but we, you know, we're hoping that some of these things just provide more clarity and give people a bit more space uh, to really share, share themselves with us. All right. Now, in terms of the 25 things question, that is, you know, Fuqua's signature question. And I'm just going to read it. Please share with us 25 random things about you. The admissions committee wants to get to know you beyond the professional and academic achievements listed in your resume and transcript. Share with us important life experiences, your hobbies, achievements, fun facts, or anything that helps us understand what makes you who you are. Mm-hmm. Give any tips for that one. I mean, you can well, have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, I would say have a lot of fun. I, I, I did it. You know, I did it as a function of when I joined Fuqua as part of my interview process, I did it. You know, every single admissions person who joins our team, once they're with in our on our team, they have about a week or so to provide us with their 25 facts. So so believe me, we haven't asked you to do anything, anything we haven't done ourselves. Right, right, right. Um, but I would say use the real estate to share facts that speak to your personal lived experience, characteristics about yourself, maybe what you value and why your passions, your strengths, your lessons learned, right? You know, failures, hobbies, affiliations, family stories, you know, not so much um, in terms of focusing on the professional part of your life, because we have other places to find that information out. You know, it's also good to provide a sentence or two to just provide some context around why you decided to share that particular fact about yourself. doesn't need to be a full paragraph, you know, just a little bit of something to give us some context. I would say be vulnerable. It's okay to be witty. You know, um, let us see your personality in the facts. You know, we have a video, I think we have a video on YouTube that share some tips as well as in terms of how to answer that essay. I think we also might provide some examples. My, my 
25 is out there in our blogs somewhere. So please feel free to. <laughs> yeah, I'll link to it. Um, Take I'll a link look to at it that. from com slash 536. Yeah, exactly. So I'll find yeah. it and link to it. Now you mentioned the early decision round. How is that different from the later four rounds other than the fact that it's first? We call it early action. Sorry, early action round. Yeah, yeah. early action. It's a binding round. I'd say that's the biggest difference. It's a binding round, which means that we ask that you not apply to another binding round school. Okay. And if admitted to Fuqua, you are saying, I commit to withdraw my applications from any other schools that you've applied to that aren't, non, that aren't, you know, that are non-binding, right? And so if there's another school out there that has a binding round, don't apply to that. And then if you do apply to other schools that don't have binding rounds, I mean, of course, you know, you might do that. Then once you get a decision from us that says, yes, you've been admitted, you're saying to us that you would withdraw your application from those schools, right? Because it's really saying that, look, if I get admitted to Fuqua, I'm coming. Like you're, you're saying it's your first so choice. Much, yeah, it's you're so much my first choice that I am applying knowing that if you admit me, I am saying that I will come. And so I would say it's 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 for certain people, it's not for certain people, right? It's for people, one, I would say it's for people who are ready and prepared early, right? And so don't rush to get into early action if you feel like you are not able to put forward, you know, your best representation of yourself in your application. Don't rush just for the sake of, of getting it into early action. Because like I said, we have a number of other rounds, right? And early action is not our largest round. So that's also gives you a sense, like most people apply in some other round. But I do say, you know, it is for the people who like know that, you know, they're kind of down for Fuqua, right? right? So, and so they're signaling and letting us know that they really are committed and that we're their first choice. Um, if you want to keep your options open, you know, early action probably isn't the round for you. Right. If you are willing to, you know, put all your eggs in the Fuqua basket and, uh, you know, and you get admitted and you're saying, yep, I'm, I'm there, then that's probably, and you're prepared, right? You have, you've made time, carved out time enough to prepare to submit it by the deadline, then it's a, it's a good round. It's a good option. Right. It's a great option. Exactly. So two, two questions on that one, if one is admitted early action, is there a different deposit requirement? Is it larger deposit requirement? Number one. Number two, is it advantageous or disadvantageous from a financial aid perspective to apply to early action? Yeah. So there is a, I mean, you still have to pay the deposits. Um, we, we do ask for a, it's not a larger deposit, but a, you know, but the deposit kind of upfront, we're still looking at, you know, whether or not that will change or not um, in terms of maybe adding additional deposits down the road. But right now it'd still be the same overall level of deposits, just kind of maybe when we would ask you for it. So right now you do kind of everything upfront and we might want to spread things out. Um, you do the majority, I would say the bulk of it upfront, so okay. 3000 upfront, and then you then have your second deposit, which is the final deposit for everybody. We're kind of looking to see if we want to you know, spread that out a little bit more as well. You have yet a third deposit, but that hasn't been finalized. Okay. Scholarships, yes, absolutely. People who are uh, admitted to our early action also are considered for scholarship and actually get them. So, you know, so it's definitely not disadvantaging you if you apply early action in terms of being considered for scholarship. Okay, great. And we discussed the the new optional section and you mentioned the length of any any tips on that or just just mostly focus on this idea of unusual learned lived experiences rather that you didn't have time place for in the other parts of the application. Yeah. So the open text piece of that, I'm trying to think how to answer it. You know, it doesn't have to be your answer doesn't have to be as long as the other essays. It is open space to just share, you know, something we may not have asked anywhere else in the application or the applicant, you know, wants to make sure we're aware of um, maybe their affiliations, areas of their background that have impacted their lived experience, how they show up in the world and how it's informed, um, you know, who they are and, and the impact they want to have and how they want to contribute to our MBA program. Again, I don't want people to overthink it, though. For some people, they're going to be something to add, and they should use the space. For others, they may not have anything to add. It's totally optional. We don't look, you know, we don't look differently on people who don't use the space, but it, it is a gift. <laughs> it is an opportunity, right? Because sometimes it's hard to know every single question we could possibly ask you to get to get yeah. every aspect of who you are, right, in a, in a paper-based application. And so this is that space to say, hey, you know, there's no essay on this question. There's no short answer question that they asked me, but 
hey, this unique thing, you know, did you know this unique thing about me? Or did you know I was a part of this thing? Or do you, did you know um, this particular aspect of my background really influenced kind of how I show up, my grit, my determination? Or this particular experience really was very informative, in term, informed my kind of thinking around the world or what I want to do, right? And so it's that kind of space to use. It is different than the optional essay that we always think about, right? Where you're clarifying why you have a specific type of recommender or why you didn't get the, the GMAT score that you wanted, the GRE score that you wanted, or how well, the GPA, right? It's not that kind of, you know, it's something new and substantive, not, in, not a clarification about some aspect of your application. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Now, can you discuss for a second the interview process at, at Fuquan, specifically the difference between open interviews and interviews by invitation? Yeah, I do think the interview is a really special opportunity for our for applicants to really show us who they are in their own words, in kind of human to human, as opposed to you know being only us only knowing you uh, from your application. And so I would say definitely take advantage of the interview. Think about it as you would any job interview if you are invited. We really want to make sure that we can get to know as many of our applicants as possible. So that's why we also have this open interview process. About you know half of our applicants are interviewed in some form or fashion. Um, and so these, you know, these, these two formats really make sure that we are able to really get to know as many applicants as possible. So the open interview period is we have um, a virtual component to that or an in-person. So and basically the difference between open interview and uh, invited is that an open interview is self-initiated. So you're kind of raising your hand saying, you know what, I want to make sure I get interviewed. So I want to sign up for this interview versus the other interviews are by invitation only. So that means we're reading through your application the first time and kind of deciding, oh, we'd like to learn more about this person, like to invite them to be interviewed, right? So those are kind of the differences. Uh, We have two ways that you can participate in either one of those, virtual or or invited, and that's either online, you know, kind of a virtual kind of interview. I'm sorry, two ways, either open interviews or by invitation, either you can participate virtually and Mm -hmm. our open interviews uh, the virtual dates are August 24th through October 6th, or you can participate in our open interviews on campus. So you can come to campus. And those dates are September 11th through October 6th. And so again, as you can see, everything as it pertains to open interviews is you know from October 24th through October 6th, basically. August. August, sorry, August 24th through October 6th. Yeah. After that, it doesn't mean you're not going to be interviewed, but it's it, you know, we we then invite people to interview. And they can if be virtual or in person or? Mm-hmm, the invitations, the, when you're invited to interview, you will also have the option to do it virtually or in person as well. Okay. Some other things to keep in mind, regardless of the round that you apply in, you can still participate in our open interviews, right? And so what happens is, let's say you decide to interview through the open interviews in, I don't know, September 2nd, right? But you're not you're not going to apply until this uh, you know the first round or the second round. We'll take that interview and we'll save it, and then once you apply, we will add that interview. That will be your official interview, and we'll add it to your application. So, is it recorded even if it's in person? When you say recorded, what do you? Mean? Well, you say you say you save the interview. So, do you save the the notes or do you save the recording or? It's the notes, right? So yeah. we don't record any interviews. So even if you're not doing even the virtual. No, no. Okay. It's just more for convenience, especially mm-hmm. if someone's um, living abroad mm-hmm. and can't get to campus. We want to oh, sure. make it convenient for them to interview. So we are, you know, it was kind of a something from the pandemic that we thought, hey, you know, it provides some flexibility. Let's keep this aspect, right? Right. Um, right. But they're not recorded. They're yeah. not recorded. Okay. But okay. they are, you know, who, the interviewer does, you know, take notes and then submits an interview report. Got it. Got and that it. report okay. is then what's added to your application. So on a first come first serve basis, though the open interviews, and with at least a forty eight hour advance notice to request an interview. Okay, sounds good. And the only thing we ask is that you have st- at least started your application to right. schedule the interview. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Now you know traditionally when you know you had interview days and people you know would also use the opportunity to learn about Duke. Are those opportunities now entirely online, or do you still have interview days? Or yep. Yeah, we're going to still have campus visits. Yes. And during your campus visit, you can also do your own campus interview. Okay. Yep. And then we'll also have, you know, different kinds of weekend events that you could also do an interview. So yeah, absolutely. 
there will still be an opportunity to visit campus and do the interview when you're doing your visit or, you know, we're going to have specific kind of Saturday interview days, right? And so they're on campus and people can come to do an in-person interview. We love to have as many people as possible come visit because I do think it's, you know, a really great way to, to see and feel it. But we, we, we want to be realistic, right? We don't want to, we want to make sure that there's broad access for everyone. So that's the reason why we've added these virtual opportunities. We actually will have virtual campus visits as well. There is one thing I think that is worth noting, and that is, um, first of all, if you're applying in early action, we do recommend that you sign up for an open interview. But in the event that you don't, you'll, we still have an invited process, but it's just, you know, a little tip. But I do want to talk about this aspect. So sometimes we get the we get the question or people don't necessarily understand that let's say they're not invited to be interviewed the first time. That means that they they say they think that signals that they will not be considered any longer for admission. And that's not the case at all. Right. What do you mean they won't be were so invited even, the first time? You mean in terms of reapplication or you mean I'm confused. Whenever so whenever we have so we have um Given by invitation dates, right? So right. Mm -hmm. which we're going to deliver our after um, October sixth, basically. Right, invites to be interviewed, mm -hmm. and some individuals think that if they don't get that invitation on that date, that all is lost, and that's not the case at all. Sometimes we, you know, we continue to review applicants, you know, so there will be other times and opportunities on a case by case basis that we might want to invite people to be interviewed even after. The, you know, invite to be interviewed deadline, right? Or date. It. Okay. it doesn't necessarily mean that you are going to be denied just Got because it. you don't get invited to be interviewed that first time. Um, we also interview people off the wait list. We often interview people, you know, as we, as we're thinking about, you know, the wait list. So there's always opportunities, uh, you know, after the initial invitation to be, to be invited. I don't want people to think that, you know, um, it's signaling something if in case they're not invited that first time. So if let's say somebody applies round one and they're not invited round two, two round one rather, could they be invited round two? Would there be yeah. some, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Exactly. And they, would there be some communication to them? Like at the yep. end of round? Yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll get a decision, but it's not an automatic deny decision. Right. right. And the fact that they weren't interviewed doesn't really mean anything because I think is what you're really trying to say. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now you mentioned COVID a couple of minutes ago. Last time we spoke, it was the middle of COVID. That was the environment in which we were speaking. Today, it's a little different environment. Today's environment has its own noteworthy developments, a lot of different noteworthy developments, actually. But I'd like to focus on one specifically, and that is AI and ChatGPT. Are you, I'm sure that AI is being taught at Duke, but are you concerned about its impact on the essay element of the application? I noticed there was a very robust plagiarism warning uh, under the application instructions. Yeah, yeah. Great question. You know, first of all, let me just say I can only speak to our policy within admissions, mm -hmm. as it may vary across the university and then the school, Fuqua school in terms of classroom use. It's really going to be up to the faculty to decide that. Mm -hmm. But within admissions, um, you know, allowing the use of AI in their application. And we have decided to allow it. it. It felt like the way to be the most inclusive while still requiring that applicants authentically represent themselves. We see a difference between plagiarism and the use of AI. And that plagiarism is explicitly using material created by someone else. While we expect that the use of AI, at least you know, in terms of how they might use it to answer our essay questions, which are unique to Fuqua, you know, the use of AI it, it has to begin anyway with this level of personal reflection, right? I mean, to answer our essay questions, you need some level of personal reflection. You need your own kind of uh, content and your own lived experiences to inform it. But we also, you know, we see that we know that. AI could be useful in terms of, you know, helping people organize their thoughts or represent them better, differently, you know, through the use of AI, AI tools. You know, we see similar to how people use Grammarly or they may have friends who are English majors and they ask them to review their, their essays or they may use admissions consultants to say, hey, take a look, provide some coaching and guidance um, around, around their, their, their essays. So again, we view this as a tool that enhances the process, but should not and does not replace the requirement for authenticity and the use of your own material. 
Right. And so in our minds, I mean, I like to say AI at Fuqua stands for authentic individuality. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I know, right? Right, right. 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 And we're, you know, we're going to assume positive intent and that applicants are ethical and they're good agents in this process. And so, you know, we do require that your application be a true and accurate reflection and representation of the your lived experience and exclusively your own. And then we do, like you said, use plagiarism tools. So for us, all essays are scanned using plagiarism detection software. But again, we see a difference between plagiarism and the use of AI tools. So we have a long kind of disclaimer about, you know, how expressing your ideas by Mm -hmm. using verbiage that's not sourced, right, is improperly credited, is is a, a violation of our honor code. And it is grounds for denying application. All right. Thank you. I've mentioned before on Admission Straight Talk, but one of our consultants is also a journalist, and she decided to ask ChatGPT to write an, an essay for her, like an MBA essay. And it took her a lot of time and effort and work to kind of coach ChatGPT to the point where the essay, not so much that the, the writing was bad, but that it had the specificity that is required to, to have a good essay. Right. And yeah. anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if it's just, you know, mumbo jumbo verbiage, general stuff, I mean, yeah, G- ChatGPT can, t- can write that. And probably, you know, my eighth grade grandchild could also write that. Right. So that's not going to serve you well, though, right? No, that's not be your no, best re- it's terrible. Best reflection of who you are. Right? No, really no, not at all. Yeah. It won't be informative. It won't be reflective. And her point was that it was as much effort for her to get ChatGPT to a point where it was producing something of quality as it would have taken her to write it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think because uh, I, w- I would also note that, and this is less on ChatGPT and more on this plagiarism tool that we do have, yeah. it, it picks up on our own essays, right? If they see language that's similar. So I would caution people if they are using admissions consultants not to share not to have anyone share any of your essays with anyone else, right? Because if right. they apply to Fuqua, we're going to see it. If you've applied to Fuqua and, then, and they've used any aspect of your essay and then they apply to Fuqua, it will pick up. Um, and so just a caution there. Right, right. Yeah. We've, we've uh, occasionally over the years ha- had applicants use essays that we recognize <laughs> as being mm. previous clients' essays. See? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's it the good idea? It wasn't a good idea. Well, I mean, you can do it programmatically. We were just doing it. You yeah, your own. Right. <laughs> You're like, I recognize that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What do you see coming down the pike for the MBA program at, at Fuqua? Yeah. So I think uh, a lot of it's still in, um, you know, kind of in design, but I expect more collective content on climate and, and AI, right? Uh, from okay. A, yeah. From an academic perspective. We do expect uh, to have a couple courses uh, that connect climate to business. And if we already approved an elective in sustainable operations, we're also offering a climate-centered, like I said, gate to Northern Europe next year, which will be interesting. That's the one Mm -hmm. that's led by Dan Vermeer. We expect a faculty member who will propose a new course that's focused on modern AI and business. It hasn't been approved yet, uh, but it uh, could be an elective next year. And then we'll be offering the first versions of a seminar and lab focused on our venture capital. We already have a seminar and lab that we put out last year on private equity. And all of those offerings are part of our Duke Innovation and Entrepreneurship uh, Initiative. And, and one thing that is interesting and new um, at Fuqua is that all of Duke University's entrepreneurship activity is now housed out of Fuqua. Oh, so, right. yeah, so Duke INE, which is Duke Innovation Entrepreneurship, which was the university's ecosystem around entrepreneurship, merged with our Center for Entrepreneurship and Innovation, which was Fuqua, and all of it's now housed staff, all the content, all the you know intellectual property, all the you know the research and the faculty and the students from undergrad to all the different you know professional schools, all of them are now working and collaborating um, within the halls of Fuqua, which is really great. We're really excited. They just outfitted a new space for them, and so kind of accelerated you know kind of an acceleration um, accelerator kind of space for them, which will be nice. That's really exciting. What about reapplicants? It's summertime. I'm sure there's some people out there thinking about reapplying. Mm-hmm. What advice do you have for reapplicants re- to Fuqua? Yeah, for students who are applying, we do offer a cloning um, process for them just to make it a little easier. So we'll replicate their application from last year. So it's mm-hmm. you, you, 
we consider you reapplicant if it's just the, for, the prior year, right? So it can't be two years from now and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But if you decide to reapply from the prior year, then we'll save your, let us know. There's an email that you can send and a, a kind of request form and we will clone your application. There's no need to re-enter their information into the online application. We can even move over their recommender feedback so that it, that's helpful so they don't have to go out back out to the same recommender. We also, we offer them the opportunity to update any other information though on their application. And there is a re-applicant essay that they need to submit. And that really is just kind of being reflective of the prior year and you know, letting us know what they've learned, what's different, what's new. I do recommend that people kind of just review last their prior year's application, maybe take a look at the 25. Is it still relevant? Do they want to switch out anything or change up anything? Being really pensive and thoughtful about the reapplication essay. You know, and I say that because if you think about it, if you just rely on the cloning and you don't update anything, and you know that last year's application, for whatever reason, it's not always just because, you know, your application, but for whatever reason, you you didn't, you weren't successful. If you make no changes, you know, what makes you think you're going to be successful if nothing changes, right? So I would say, right. right so the definition of insanity, right? right? That's what I was thinking. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I do think it's worth their time to just, you know, take a look, see what they might want to refresh and, and then also be really thoughtful about that reapplicant essay. But we try and make it as easy as possible. We'll have we'll have events for reapplicants and webinars and sessions to really kind of help walk them through the process. But if they but we welcome them, we welcome reapplicants, and we have a high rate of uh, folks who reapply who actually get admitted the following year. So um, I do think it's worth re reapplying. Absolutely, great, great. What are some common mistakes that you see? I'm glad you asked that question. So I would say one would be. During the recruiting process, asking admissions reps to compare their programs to other schools, okay. I think the better approach is to reflect on what's important to you in the in a program as an applicant. Be prepared to share that and then inquire with each school, like, how does their program match up to what's important to you instead of how it matches up to another institution? You know, I feel like it's it's the applicant's job to really know the differences between the institutions. And it's each admissions rep at an institution to know what's unique about their institution really well. Um, and it's mm -hmm. also just not good form or respectful for admissions reps to contrasting a pair of peer institutions, as all these programs are really strong. And, you know, there's just as much as similar as different. And I really believe that there's a place for everyone. And so it's really better to start with what's important to you. Another mistake I would say to shy away from is I've seen applicants not explain aspects of their application that may be viewed as outside that middle 80% range, especially if it's on the lower end. So if there's anything that's in your profile that you feel is not a strength, I would urge you to really tell us what you've done to shore up that area. Be proactive, demonstrate kind of self-awareness and humility at the same time. Don't allow us to assume or make up a story about what happened in that particular space or, or what that means, right? But really be proactive to say, you know what, it looks like I'm a little different from this outside of this class profile range, but let me tell you why, you know, what I've done or how I'm unique in this other way or how I've started to work on these aspects that might be a little bit different from what that cl class profile makeup, um, you know, in, in the aggregate looks like. And then I would just say also doubting themselves up front, you know, not taking that bet on in the first place. You know, I, I really believe, again, that there's an MBA program out there for everyone. I believe strongly in the value of the MBA. It's been pivotal in my life. And it really surprises me that certain students will say, you know, they'll feel like they have to move mountains before they even are ready to apply. And I say, you are good just as you are. You, you deserve this kind of investment in yourself through the pursuit of an MBA. And I'd say, just go for it. You know, don't doubt yourself. And then being really communicative. Uh, I also also say kind of another thing to just be aware of and be sensitive to is when, um, you know, you're really communicative initially when you're recruiting, right, with our schools, but then you're like MIA once you get an offer. <laughs> and so <laughs> it's just, it's not, it's just, you know, it's, it's not kind. It's not the decent look, you know, we want what's best for all of, you know, everyone who's applying and those, especially those we admit, but we're human beings in the process. So we can appreciate and you really like when there's mutual respect throughout that process. So even if you decide after getting our offer that another school is a better place for you, that is totally fine. I just, just say, be upfront, be honest, be in communication, you know, don't ghost the admissions team. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I, I yeah. completely agree with you. 
And then the last one, just, just more about when you're preparing to start your program, once you get admitted and then accept and you're preparing to really start, you know, make sure you're paying attention to the many communications that you're going to receive from the school to help you get ready to start. I would say stay on top of those emails. I see time and time again, people not not paying attention to the emails. And then before they know it, the program's starting or before they know it, know it they've missed some kind of deadline that's going to be really important for them. And so you're going to feel as a, as a incoming student, much more prepared and calm, not scrambling when the time comes, if you stay on top of those communications and meet the deadlines and the checklists and things like that, that you're being asked to do in order to get you prepared. Because it's really the schools, they have your best interest um, in their minds when they are trying to stage the communications and say, hey, you know, we need for you to do X, Y, and Z, because it's really in your best interest to have all that done, because you will not believe how much information you will be deluged, you know, there'll be a deluge of information once you start. And so if you're not even in the mindset and practice of you know, responding and paying attention to that stuff, even before you start, you're going to feel lost. And that's not what you want, right? You want to start your program feeling really comfortable and calm and prepared and confident. Right, right. That's great advice. Thank you so much. What would you have liked me to ask you? Let's see. So I talked a little bit already about our kind of test scores, I would say maybe the only other thing would be how we think about waitlists. How do you, you maintain, think about waitlists? <laughs> <laughs> we maintain a selective and active waitlist. Um, it's not ranked, so we don't have any kind of ranking if you're on the waitlist. And if so, if you're uh, you know put on the waitlist in round one, you may be admitted in subsequent rounds. So we try and look at every subsequent round to see if there's anyone that we'd like to pull off the waitlist. Um, we encourage people to submit. And to stay in touch and submit um, documentation doesn't have to be overwhelming, but if there's something new and different, or if you've retaken a test, or if you've gotten a promotion, or even if it's just to say, you know what, I'm still really interested, right? And so, you know, definitely be in communication. We look at it like as a two-way, two-way kind of relationship at, when you're on the wait list. And we do, we have a healthy number of people that uh, we admit off the wait list every year and they come and they thrive. I mean, I can, you know, they're tell you there are a number of our uh, co-presidents of our MBA student association who have been, you know, folks who have been admitted off the wait list. So it's a process that we take very seriously and, um, and we know it's a process that can be very angst-ridden, but we don't want it to be. So I would say, you know, be in communication with us and we'll be in communication with you too. Sounds good. Yeah. Sherry, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Where can listeners and potential applicants learn more about Duke Fuqua? Yeah, so visit our website. Uh, I would encourage people to attend our events. We already are starting to be on the road. But if you'd like to learn more, you can always visit our website at fuqua.duke.edu. We'll include links in the show notes to the Duke Fuqua website. You can find those links at accept.com slash 536. You'll also find links to related articles and show notes. Listener, thank you too for joining Sherry Hubert and me for a 536th episode. If you find the show worthwhile, I have a suggestion for you. Tell your MBA applicant friends. They'll thank you and so do I. Quick reminder, don't miss the MBA admissions quiz. Find out if you're really ready to apply and competitive at your target schools. Take the quiz at accept.com slash MBA quiz. That's MBA Q-U-I-Z. Thanks again for coming. This is Admission Straight Talk produced by Accepted and I am your host, Linda Abraham. I'll talk to you again next week. 